Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Headlines that if I lead off with it and I tell you uh, the main the, the main character, um, then you're immediately going to at me all over social media and uh, and on the text line. So instead, I'm just going to tell you that a significant personage uh, has said that he has spoken directly to God and God has spoken directly to him. And um, and so if we were to have that conversation in a vacuum as Christians, as Christian believers, if we were to have that conversation in a vacuum, if I was not to tell you who the individual is at the center of this conversation. Um, And I was to say to you, there is a political leader, a very significant political leader in the world today um, who has said that he has spoken directly to God and God has spoken directly to him and given him special revelation um, on a particular topic. You and I, as Christian believers, would pause and we would ask ourselves whether or not we believe in this Gnostic heresy of special revelation, we would ask ourselves, we would be honest with one another, and we would ask ourselves, um, is, is the canon closed? Um, and then we would say, is there any possibility this person is talking tongue-in-cheek in a, in a sort of, you know, uh, is this a person prone to um, a lax approach to the use of language? And, um, and so now I'm going to tell you that the person is Donald Trump. Uh, and the president of the United States has said that God, that he spoke to God, which, you know, is an act of prayer and great, but that he then recounts uh, this verbatim conversation where God then speaks to him. That that in there lies the problem, right? It's not the recounting of um, uh, or the or the claim to, as a Christian, uh, be praying and uh, and God answering those prayers. The the problem lies in the quoting of God in ways that, uh, let's just say, are, are extra biblical. Okay, so it's going to get us into a conversation about revelation, about uh, how it is that God reveals himself, God's revelation about himself, the complexity of assessing claims of personal revelation, and the problem of doing theology in public, particularly in the political realm. That, that would, those would all be all the component parts of a conversation related to this. So if you live in Mankato, you may have heard this speech live uh, in in person the other day. Um, And so I guess I'm wondering, you know, if you did, if you were in Mankato, Minnesota, and you heard the president speak in person and live on the topic of the special revelation that he received from God, did it seem tongue in cheek to you? Did it seem uh, like maybe the president was speaking loosely about having a sense that, you know, God's got this, God's going to redeem, we're not alone? Um, You know, there's a proverbial light at the end of this particular tunnel. That's how I suspect we ought to be assessing this. But as Christians, we also have to be ready to recognize that other people don't necessarily understand um, when we speak casually of things that are, frankly, very, very serious. So what is revelation and what is not? 
Uh, Deuteronomy 29.29, I think, is instructive here. There are things that God keeps uh, secret to himself. Um, We cannot know all things. God has chosen to reveal some things. We treasure those things. Um, Knowing God is possible. We, We know God through a restored relationship with the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, but we also regard Gnosticism as a heresy. The claim to know something special that other people don't know. The claim to have some sort of special access to an ongoing revelation, direct revelation uh, from the Father that others do not have. Beyond that, which is granted to all believers um, through the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So um, I'm going to leave that right there. Lots of opportunities there for you to have conversations today with your pastor about revelation, about special revelation, and whether or not in your particular Um, branch of the Christian community. This is something that is believed. Um, In my branch uh, of the Christian family, it is not. This is not. uh, So I would have to regard this as the president speaking loosely about having a sense that, you know, I got the same sense. God's got this. There is a light uh, at the end of this proverbial tunnel that we call the pandemic. Um, The the economy will likely recover, uh, not by one man's action, but by the action of every individual among us working hard um, toward that toward that end. All right, yes, always dependent upon the grace of God in the midst of it. Peter Kapsner is up next, waiting in the wings. We are going to talk about the future of Christian marriage. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. joins me each and every week. Uh, We call this segment 50 Shades of Truth, which really does mean that uh, we live in a world that is having a very difficult time discerning between truth and falsehood. Uh, And so we like to suss out those uh, conversations each and every week. We have, uh, we've talked across a range of issues. Peter um, brings a particular expertise to the conversation about relationships, teaches courses on that subject at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And so when I saw this article on the future of Christian marriage, uh, I thought, hey, let's talk uh, with that about that with Peter Kapsner. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. Uh, how are you this morning? I'm, I'm well. I'm well. How are you this morning? Well, you know, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I was talking uh, with Paul and some other people in the last uh, couple of days. We're seeing a lot of shifting things as we're trying to prepare for classes at Northwestern here that start a week from today. And even just a week ago, we thought we could do some face-to-face learning, and now we're talking about uh, some face-to-face learning, some hybrid models. I just, you know, it's it's an interesting time uh, for university students right now to to consider what life is going to be like on campus this fall. Let's uh, let's uh, let's talk about this article that both you and I read. This podcast we both listened to, "The Future of Christian Marriage." Um, it's posted at the Gospel Coalition. Colin Hansen is talking with. Uh, Mark Rignaris about a forthcoming book. Um, give us the, uh, you know, give us the, I don't even know what, if it's the $5 or the $50, <laughs> uh, give us the, give us the preview or the review. Yeah, maybe I can give you the 50 cent version uh, on this, but uh, it's worthwhile listening to for sure. I think uh, uh, listeners, if you can find this, The Future of Christian Marriage at the Gospel Coalition, uh, he he's pretty spot on, it seems, on his take on how 
just even views of Christian marriage have changed. And by that, I don't necessarily mean in, in this segment we're talking about that marriage uh, may involve, at least in some people's thinking, a relationship between two men or two women or, or some of the things you and I have talked about these past few weeks. It's really about the motivation that young people are experiencing these days to get married. And, and certainly when I was growing up, there was a sense in which uh, getting married at a pretty young age was kind of the acceptable norm, if not sort of the expected norm on a lot of levels. And, and, uh, and what he talks about in this podcast is that we have this idea of a foundational view of marriage, meaning that uh, if you were so led and, and God was providing in that way for your life, and that was part of your call in life, that you would uh, have a, a spouse, a partner with whom you would really grow in life together, that that you would build something together, you would tend towards the future together. And uh, and it might be messy and it might be difficult, especially when you, you start that process and that journey at a very young age. But that was sort of the expected and anticipated norm for many people. Now, fast forward to today and, and a couple generations later, and he's saying that there, there's much more of a capstone view of marriage, which he describes as the end of a process that you are probably going to go out as a young person and discover yourself and try to make yourself more marketable, I suppose, through your career successes uh, or your fitness successes or your uh, spiritual successes, whatever that is. And, and that marriage is really sort of this capstone that, uh, that you sort of receive at the end of the day. And, and it's a little bit more about a reward for you sort of thing. And, and so he talks about, um, marriage being a bit more self-centered in, in that way. And I would suggest that uh, what I see among young people in the classes that I teach, both a relationships class this fall, as well as a human sexuality class, that, that he's pretty spot on when it comes to the ground level of how these things are being processed by young people. And, and certainly young people are far more reticent to even think about getting married today. And, uh, and they've been told their whole life that they've got to build their resume, they got to build their career, and that their life really does revolve around what they are building on their own, not the prospect of what they might want to build with somebody else in a lifelong partnership and a covenant uh, that, again, tends towards the future. And so I guess one last piece to it, too, is I, I think the most common thing that I hear from young people is that they really had a difficult experience uh, with their own family, whether it was uh, with divorce or there was some abuse or some difficulty, or they, they watched some of their friends' families begin to fall apart uh, and disintegrate. And they really don't, they, they don't have a sense of the beauty of what it can be. And don't get me wrong, marriage is incredibly difficult, as I'm sure our, our listeners can all attend to. Uh, but uh, but they don't have a sense of the wonder and the possibility of, of growing into a life together with somebody else and the sacrifice that that might require. Our understanding of, of who we are, our understanding of why we're here, um, marriage as a part of that, certainly having children uh, as a part of that, I think all of those are woven into this conversation. Hey, Peter, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's continue the conversation about the future of Christian marriage. Uh, We are looking at a podcast that is posted at thegospelcoalition.org by that same title, The Future of Christian Marriage. We'll be right back. All right, Dr. Peter Kapser and I are actually talking about uh, a book 
that my guess is neither of us have yet read, um, called <laughs> the the future of of Christian marriage. Um, but I intend to to not only track it down, but we're going to try to get Mark uh, Rignaris here on the program to talk about it himself. Um, for those of you not familiar with Mark's work, he's a contributing editor of Public Discourse. He's a professor of sociology at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, and um, he does a lot of writing in the area of sexual behavior, family, marriage, and religion. His new book is The Future of Christian Marriage, and uh, it is covered in a podcast that's posted at the Gospel Coalition and um, that caught my attention. And because this is uh, Peter Kapsner's wheelhouse, it's a fun place uh, for us to spend some time together. Um, he interviews some 200 young adult Christians from around the world um, to talk about marriage. Um, and and really, I think where he ends up uh, in the final analysis is that the future of marriage will be a religious one. That is an interesting place to arrive um, because essentially he's saying marriage really only has a place in uh, in the lives of those who are ultimately religious. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a key point, Carmen, because if it's not going to be religious, and, and what I'm going to suggest, what I mean by that, is that if this isn't about um, you tending towards God's future together with another person, and, and that's really the call of Genesis 1, when you see the male and the female coming together in, in both 1 and 2, God gives us the, the, this command to co-rule on behalf of the future, and they're to tend to God's future together. And one of the primary ways they do that uh, is through offspring, but in many other ways too. So so childless couples uh, also tend to God's future together, and so do single people and and. Uh, and the, the, this kingdom that unfolds. So that's that's the call on all of us. But there's a unique and sacred covenant uh, of male and female coming together in that as well. And it has the religious underpinnings along those lines. If you don't have that, then marriage becomes more transactional or it becomes more what's in it for me at, at this point. And I, and I suspect, and certainly when I counsel young people uh, when, in premarital counseling, when my wife Hallie and I do that together, we, we ask them the question, um, why are you getting married? And uh, so often it has to do with maybe alleviating a bit of loneliness or thinking that you're going to find this person who's going to be able to satisfy you for your lifetime. You're going to be able to have a, a journey together that's going to, again, maybe um, feed into your sense of adventure. It's, it's any number of reasons, but most of them tend to be self-centered as opposed to other-centered in this idea that God did put this call in my life uh, to to be part of tending towards his future in this kind of context together. That's the religious question. The, the secular question is more what's in it for me and how will I benefit, whether it's economically uh, or any number of ways from a partnership like this that's far more transactional. And I think that's part of why, too, marriages can really get into trouble relatively quickly is, of course, we find out from living with somebody uh, even just a few days in, if not months or years in, that they're not going to meet all of our expectations. And 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 what holds you together is the power of the vows, saying that I, I promise never to leave you nor forsake you. And I did that in front of God, not because of what I felt like I was going to get out of this, but because of what I knew God was inviting us into in this unknown future. So even though things are really difficult right now, I'm going to trust in that vow and trust that God had brought us together for a reason. And uh, instead of trusting in how good the relationship may or may not be during a given season and young people, mm, absent of a religious motivation like that, they, you know, why would you stay? Why, why would you want to continue participating when marriage gets tough? There's a, there's a lot of big questions here. 
All right. So I haven't read the book. I'm confessing that right here at the start. Um, I hope I'm I'm crazy. I'm, I'm literally raising my hands right now in hope, in hope, in an ardent hope that somewhere in this book on the future uh, of Christian marriage, um, there is, uh, you know, just a straight up acknowledgement um, that there's a bigger conversation to be had here. Uh, Revelation 19, 6 to 9 is the future of Christian marriage. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of Mm. God. There's a future of Christian marriage that has nothing to do with whether or not here, you know, on this plane, in this experience of life, um, I ever wed. Yeah. Yeah. And and by the you know, that gives me chills when you read that passage. Some of those passages coming out of Revelation are just— if we don't turn our eyes to them regularly, we forget the the end towards which we're heading, and and not just the end, but the new beginning towards which we're he- heading, where earth and heaven once again become one, and uh, and the bridegroom does return for the bride, and and in that there's going to be a wild and beautiful celebration as all things are set right, and and yet then even after that. Uh, there, there's going to be the continued tending to the new earth. I mean, I think some people, we get this idea that heaven is going to be this place where we sing endless worship songs and some floating barge of gold just past the Andromeda galaxy. And, and it's, you know, 20 by 20 <laughs> cubits of gold or something. No, earth and heaven become one once again. And we, we are partnering with our bridegroom as the bride in the ever beautiful, unfolding, expansive nature of his universe. It's, it, things are going to be set right as they were intended to back in the book of Genesis. And, and you see that because because there's this exile from the tree of life at the end of Genesis 3, and, the, and, and Revelation 22 caps it all off by saying, and now the way is once again open to the tree of life, and, uh, and there's going to be this beautiful restoration of what we were meant for in the beginning. Yeah, let's not forget all the things that Jesus says about what the kingdom of heaven will be like, and the many, many illustrations and allusions to, uh, to weddings. Let's not forget that his first miracle that he performed— um, was the the celebration of the wedding of a man and a woman um, and the extending of their joy, really. I mean, the entire first miracle Jesus performs is just all about expanding the joy uh, <laughs> of is. a young couple and being sure they're not embarrassed um, by by a lack of, of wine because they apparently have a bunch of rowdy guests. Okay, so um, that was a bit of a segue. Peter Kapsner, thank you as always so much. Um, let's continue these conversations. Blessings on the start of the new school year at the University of Northwestern St. Paul upon you and others as you guys, uh, you know, do in person, do hybrid, do online. Um, and we look forward to uh, catching up with you each and every week. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Carmen. It's such a joy to be with you guys. Thanks for the work that you do. And I, I think you'll be in town in a few weeks if, if I'm not mistaken. And maybe we'll get a chance yes. to hang in studio together. Yes, absolutely. We're gonna um, we're gonna have fall share. It's like the week after Labor Day. So yes, I'll be there. Yeah. It'll be fun. Looking forward to it. Likewise, we'll be right back. All right, you got doubts? Not not a lack of faith. Not you know serious case of uh, of unbelief. But you got doubts. 
Christians have doubts. This is this is a reality in which we live. I'm going to talk with Shelby Abbott, author of Doubt Less. Doubt Less. Um, about just some very practical conversations and approaches that we can take when we do experience doubt. If you know more and live more and pray more and walk more and seek more and grow more, you will inevitably doubt less. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The phrase, believes in him, doesn't digest well in our day of self-sufficient spiritual food. Believe in yourself is the common menu selection of our day. Try harder, work longer, dig deeper. Self-reliance is our goal. In him, smacks of exclusion. Salvation comes in many forms, right? Salvation is found not in self or in them, but in him. Romans 4, 5 says, To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Our spiritual legs have no strength. Our morality has no muscle. Our good deeds cannot carry us across the finish line, but Christ can. This is Max Lucado. Shelby Abbott is here me. with me. Is here with me now. Um, I I love I love Shelby's approach um, to the conversations of the day. I love his passion for Jesus, um, and I love his concern for culture. So uh, he's here today to talk about his brand new book, Doubtless, because faith is hard. But I want you to check out everything he's doing at Shelby Abbott a b b o t t shelbyabbott.com. Shelby, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks. Great to be here again. All right. It's um, so I like that you bring humor to the conversation. I like how honest you are. Um, Christians experience doubt. Let's um, let's let's talk about the difference between doubt and unbelief, and then let's talk about the very real temptation that real Christians do have. Real doubt. They do. Yeah. Uh, there is a a major difference between doubt and unbelief. Saying that that doubt is the same thing as unbelief is is pretty much like saying temptation is the same thing as sin. Temptation can lead to sin, and certainly doubt can lead to unbelief, but they are not equal to one another. Uh, Unbelief is a decision, an intentional decision that someone makes to believe that there is no God, for example. But doubt is something that is a wrestling process that every Christian goes through at some point in time in their life. Okay, so um, in this book, and again, the book is Doubtless because faith is hard, and I do have copies to give away. So let me just say, if doubt is something that you struggle with and you would like to doubt less, uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, you're going to text the word book to 877-933-2484. Talk with us about... um, there's because there's some exchanges that need to take place. If I want to doubt less, I can't just obsess about doubt. So talk with me about um, what are the things I'm going to do more of in order that I will doubt less. Well, I think it's it's important that there's a, I'm a pretty practical person, and so I, I want to try to give people practical steps uh, in order to. Um, 
approach it well. And I think one of the one of the things that I notice in particular while working in ministry is that when people do doubt, they they have a tendency to be quiet about it because they feel ashamed about it, or they feel like I can't really talk about this because people are going to think I'm not a, a good Christian or whatever. And uh, inevitably, doing that in isolation makes you drift further and further away from a healthy Christian community, certainly, but away from God. And my exhortation in the book is really to, instead of that, lean into it well, assume that God is going to meet you in that process, and be honest about where you're going, what you're wrestling with, the questions that you're dealing with, the doubts you're having. Find a group of people who would listen to you well, and um, allow them to be your kind of companions in the process of doubting. And so um, I give a few practical steps, like I said, in the book, but it's just mainly one of those things where you need to lean into it in the in the context of community and assume that God is going to show up as opposed to fading into the, into the background away from him, like a phantom almost. You've used um, the word wrestle a couple of times. Um, this is not just uh, an intellectual exercise. There's... My whole self comes to this uh, comes to this party of interacting with doubt. If I'm really going to turn toward God um, and I'm going to really invite God to help me see him and see himself and experience that, there is going to be a wrestling that takes place. Tell us uh, right. one of the things that you do in this book is you, you use um, accounts and stories, not only of people in the Bible, but others. Um, it, it helps us see the doubts of others and their wrestling uh, in order to understand our own. So tell us, tell us one of those stories. Yeah, it's great. Tons of great examples in scripture. Um, I ran across this quote in doing research for the book about the Psalms in particular. And the this one pastor said that the Psalms give us permission to beat on God's chest. And I really love that imagery because, um, you know, the Psalms are very honest about what, what, people are wrestling with as they're as they're going through life and experiencing uh, the ups and downs of a relationship with God. So the, the example that I, I like to use the most, though, is ironically not doubting Thomas, although I do talk about him, but John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the precursor to the Messiah. He was the one who pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In fact, he even baptized Jesus. And when he did, uh, an audible voice from heaven came down and said, this is my son. So you think there'd be pretty definitive proof. Uh, and John the Baptist would have no reason whatsoever to doubt. Yet at the end of his life, um, he sends a few of his disciples to Jesus and he says, uh, are you the one or should we expect another? And some people might read that and go, come on, really? I mean, you heard the audible voice of God say, this is my son, and you're still doubting? So I I kind of look at that and say, you know, that doesn't turn me away or, or think that John the Baptist is, you know, doing a bad job as a Christian or whatever. But I'm oddly comforted by that because if the precursor to the Messiah can doubt uh, I'm in good biblical company. And so there's plenty of other other examples of that in Scripture, but that's the one I, I like to talk about the most because it's, it's, it's pretty obvious. He's a great character, isn't he? Like John the Baptist is just one of those guys in Scripture that you're—I um, mean, if you've ever wondered if God has ever intentionally made a person for a purpose, like John the Baptist answers that question um, for each yeah, and every absolutely. one of us. and. Uh, just it's yeah, I love his story. I mean, it's one of my favorite um, places to point in the life conversation because 
you know, John in the womb recognizes Jesus for who he is. That's pretty extraordinary. I mean, I just am like, right. wow. Okay. So anyway, that's yep. a bit of a segue. All right. I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking with Shelby Abbott. We're talking about his brand new book, Doubtless. Think of it as doubtless, uh, because faith is hard. So what you're really, um, what it seems to me that you're, that you are seeking to do is address the very real questions that very real people have um, about the reality uh, of life and how challenging it is sometimes to believe that God is or that God is good or that we can trust him with our whole life. Um, some of the questions that emerge in your conversation w- conversations with young adults. So let me remind our listeners that um, Shelby works as a campus minister and he engages with and encounters young people all the time. And young people, um, when they're honest, uh, they they acknowledge that they have a lot of questions. Well, those questions are shared by a lot of the rest of us. We're just never, we're just maybe not quite as honest about the doubts that we have. So if this sounds like something that would be a good um, gift to yourself, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. We do have some copies of Doubt Less uh, by Shelby Abbott to give away today. Again, you're going to text the word book to 877-933-2484. Shelby and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about Doubtless. Continuing my conversation with Shelby Abbott, you can find him at Shelby Abbott, A-B-B-O-T-T uh, dot com. We're talking about his brand new book, Doubtless, because faith is hard. Um, Shelby, um, you open with this uh, flashback to this conversation you had with Ben and Kyle uh, the summer after their freshman year of college. Um, take people, I mean, you've been at this for some 20 years. Take people who've not been to a college campus lately, who have not had a lot of interaction with uh, 18-year-olds in our culture. Um, take us into the kinds of conversations that you are having with kids who are Christians, but who are really struggling with doubt? Well, I mean, we've seen examples of uh, lately a lot of public Christians, Christian, like, quote-unquote, celebrities coming uh, to a point of spiritual deconstruction that's been kind of happening a lot lately. And so I think as a result of that, people are willing to talk about it a lot more. So there is a a bit of a silver lining to that dark cloud. So I've had lots of conversations. The the conversation with Ben and Kyle really was uh, they had had a religion 101 class and their professor really just kind of shot a lot of holes, what he believed were holes in Christianity. And they didn't really know how to answer any of those questions or, you know, intelligently come back and kind of have a conversation about them. And so to their credit, they came to me and asked, hey, these are some things that we're we're wrestling through, and this is the some of the doubts that we're having. Do you have some answers to these questions? And so honestly, I, I didn't want to try to debate the professor who wasn't in the room with me. So I really just listened to them and uh, gave them a resource list and tried to uh, – be a part of the solution by pointing them in some of the right directions towards some apologetic books. But I found that 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 students in general value authenticity in a way that maybe uh, some older people don't. And so they're willing to talk about these things. And so we need to be willing to engage with them, uh, listen 
uh, someone once told me you got two ears and one mouth, so listen double and then speak less. And so that's what I really tried to do with them. And I thought that was the beginning of uh, really the journey of maybe maybe I should write something about the social aspects of doubt. Um, and that, that, that combined with my uh, brother-in-law, my wife's youngest brother, walking away from the faith as well after uh, you know a four to five year journey of deconstructing his faith. I was like, I need to go after this in a pretty intentional way because young people are willing to talk about it. I need to be willing to talk about it too. So I had a conversation uh, some years back um, with, I'll, I'll describe this person as, a, as like of a grandmother age. Um, and okay. she um, she had actually given a, a watch, a beautiful watch um, to her grandson when he was graduating from high school. And when he was home for Christmas, I mean, again, we're only one semester into his freshman year. You know, he left as uh, as a child who had been raised in a Christian family in the context of a church. Um, but by Christmas, man, he is uh, he is full of uh, of all kinds of uh negative slanderous uh, commentary about the Christian faith. And she was heartbroken. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he gave her back the watch, but it was all taken apart. Really? And, wow. and so she's sitting in my office and we're talking about this. And I said, okay, this is all he's doing is expressing to you what has happened to his faith in, in this first semester of school. You tried to give him your faith and it was an operational faith and it worked and it works for you. It's been totally taken apart in his first semester of school. And so what he's trying to communicate to you is this, what you gave me, the parts and pieces don't work for me. And I don't know how to put it together. I feel yeah. like that's what you are helping young people do. You are helping them um, not just have a faith that is stripped apart, but actually put it back together in a way that works. That's functional. It does work. Faith does work. It's uh, it is real. God is real. Um and so when you when you think about what you're doing, is there is there a visual image that comes to mind? I mean, I know you use the word guide in your work. T talk with us about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Well, the the important thing to remember here, too, is that when we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about the gospel of grace. And so uh, what I what I want to help people to understand is that um if you're a Christian, if you're an authentic Christian, there really is no such thing as spiritual deconstruction because uh, if it's a if it's a gift of grace from God to us that God you know literally reaches down into our spiritual hearts and rips out the heart of stone and, and replaces it with a heart of flesh, that's a miracle. It's mm. a, it's a miracle that that God has changed us and saved us, and God doesn't undo miracles. Um, and so it's not not a matter of it's impossible to it's it's impossible to deconstruct your faith because it was never mine to begin with. Um, it was his who who gave it to me. So I, I want to help people to understand that. And I've been highlighting that a lot more. You we, I think, make assumptions all the time that because people are raised kind of what you said about living in a Christian home their whole life, they know all the right answers in Bible study. Uh, they know how to speak the lingo and use the, the Christianese language that we do. Um, but I want to go back to the basics, quote unquote, the basics of the gospel and make sure that they understand uh, the truth about the fact that uh, 
why are you a Christian? Are you a Christian because you think you do a bunch of stuff and you say a bunch of stuff and you pray a bunch? Or are you a Christian because God performed a miracle in your life? Start there and then move forward and have the candid conversations afterward. Because you're allowed to have questions. You're allowed to have doubts. Everybody does. Uh, but wrestle with them well as opposed to making the assumption that people are true believers before we even start the conversation. Okay, that is so good. I'm I'm taking notes. Faith, authentic <laughs> faith, authentic faith is not deconstructible. I mean, that is um, uh, that's right. A really and I use that language. Yeah, yeah. I use I use the language to help people understand because everybody understands what deconstruction is this day and age, and, and I want to you know uh, acknowledge that. But in reality, let's define what's what's actually happening here. And so, I think that's probably a helpful way to start the conversation is to get on the same page spiritually. I don't make any assumptions, any assumptions at all anymore. I used to all the time back when I was early staff and a young guy I used to make assumptions about if someone said they wanted to be in a Bible study and they started coming out to the campus ministry and they said all the right things, I just assumed that they were a believer. But now not anymore. I sit down with people and I say, let's let's go back to the beginning here. And what do you truly believe? Because that will save you a lot of time and honestly, a lot of heartache for them in the future as well as people are um, you know, saying, I don't believe this anymore. And I'm like, yeah, that's not really possible. I don't think you believed it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, all right. We, we, I got time for maybe, I mean, maybe one more question if we do it quick. And that is this. Um, Sam Albury wrote the foreword to this book. I, I happen to be a great fan of Sam. Um, for people who don't know him, introduce people to Sam Albury. Sam is um, a hero of mine. He, the world is not worthy of him. He is a, a pastor and an, an a, um, apologist who works for the Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Um, he is from the UK, and he is same-sex attracted, uh, and he has decided to live a life of celibacy. And um, he uh, knows that he'll never get married one day, and so he's uh, living that life with a constant struggle and suffering. Um, but he is brilliant. He is funny, and uh, he wrote. Uh, he's written many books. One of them is God Anti-Gay. Uh, seven myths about singleness he's writing one right now about how the gospel is good for your body and um i asked him he's a friend of mine so i asked him to write this forward and he graciously did so uh if you don't get a chance uh to really uh know who he is follow him on social media and you'll discover quite quickly that he can challenge and help your faith grow yeah, I just I love that he's in the world and I'm so thrilled to live in the same generation that he's in. So I just thought you and I could take the opportunity to both celebrate him. All right. Shelby Abbott, thank you so much for joining us today. You guys can uh, check out everything Shelby's doing at shelbyabbott.com. The book is Doubtless. If you're interested in entering uh, the drawing we're doing for the copies we have to give away, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Shelby, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right. Every once in a while, you just got to gush in public about the people you uh, you admire and respect. I don't think we probably do that often enough. Celebrate our the heroes of the day. So find somebody out there in uh, in the in the world of apologetics or in the world of the proclamation of the gospel and just just gush about them publicly. 
Uh, don't just tell them that you love them and appreciate them. Tell others. Say, you know, hey, let me turn you on to this person that I listen to and respect and read. Uh, maybe it's Susie Larson. All right, hey, send up a send up a prayer. She's got a book launch coming up on September the 1st. And so we just want to bathe that book launch in, in prayer for our friend and colleague and sister in Christ, uh, Susie Larson. All right, there you go. That's what I got for you today. Have a great day, and God bless. We'll see you right back here tomorrow on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.